0: everybody go ahead and grab your seat so if you're new to H2O I want to explain something that we do each week we have someone share their story uh, and we do that to inspire the rest of us that God is really moving among us so can you give a round of applause for John Kurtz here good morning so John how long have you been coming to H2O
1: I've been coming to H2O since, I think, July or so of last year, eight months maybe.
0: Eight months. Yeah, not bad, not bad. And uh, before you came here, were you a churchgoer or?
1: No, I haven't been to church in 20 or so years. Um, I was raised in Boston area and I was raised Episcopalian, which is like a Catholic kind of thing, I guess. And, um, you know, I was baptized, First Communion. I was confirmed at, I think, 12. And uh, after I was confirmed, I pretty much never set foot in a church again.
0: Twenty years. It's a long time. Twenty years. So uh, what made you come? Why did you come to H2O here?
1: Well, about two years ago, I started getting some really weird emails from my boss saying, uh hey, John, um, you know, praise Jesus and some, a link to an article or something. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And I, I thought he maybe was going through a midlife crisis or something. So I'm like, <laughs> whatever. And then um, then I started getting, you know, H2O stuff where he has marked up press releases or different stuff for the church because he's a bit of a marketing guru. And he started sending it to me saying, hey, John, this is what I think. And I'm like, ah, oh, something's going on here. There's another John in his life. So I'm like, I think you're sending it to the wrong person. That's how I kind of got introduced to H2O ever since. He's invited me faithfully pretty much every week. (laughs) And the first couple dozen times, I'm just like, no, not for me. Uh, Then that kind of got old. I had to change to, oh, maybe. And he's like, Okay, John, I'll save you a seat. And I'll save you a seat. And I didn't come for many more months, but he kept saving me a seat. So, finally, he guilted me into it, and I showed up, and I, I haven't missed a, a service yet. Well, I've missed one. I was ill one time.
0: <laughs> Sounds like he's a very mean man, uh, very relentless.
1: He, he's very persistent.
0: So, at this point, would you consider yourself a Christian? Where are you at with that?
1: Uh, no, not, not particularly. Um, you know, I as the definition of have I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Um, no, I don't really know what that means. Um, I do know that I like coming here. I enjoy it. I learn something every week and uh, there's great people here. So um, just keep coming and see what happens.
0: So <laughs> how has H2O affected you? Can you tell us just a little bit about that?
1: Well. H2O is different. Um, I first came here, I uh, was just in complete awe of the, the music and the worship. Um, I've been a big fan of you know, gospel, Christian music for many, many years. And I came here and it was just like pow in my face, the drums, the music, the singing, everything. And I'm just like, wow, this is, this is cool. Um, but I'm like, all right, they have good music. So what? It's still going to be boring church. So, uh, then John gets up here, and one of the first things he does is start saying the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, I've had memorized, even though I haven't said it in 20 years, still have it memorized. And he starts saying, Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Except he doesn't just say it. Um, He goes about 15 minutes into describing what it actually means. Why? What does that mean, Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name? What does that mean and why is Jesus teaching us to pray this way? And I was fascinated. I, this is something I've, you know, known and memorized my entire life and never once has anybody sat down and said, hey, this is what this means. And I'm like, wow, this is a little bit different. Um, this might be the, the church for me. So, uh, you want me to keep talking or?
0: No. <laughs> I knew you would be a good interview. I had no question about that. I, I got a, one last question for you, and this might be a curveball. Uh, how can we pray for you?
1: Well, uh, just like everybody else, uh, I have sin and sorrow in my life, I have issues. Um, so I think the best prayer for me is to continue on the path I'm on, um, for my family to uh, stay together and stay coming to church and um become become one of those fine christian families we all hear about
0: would you allow me to just pray for you right now absolutely thanks for sharing Um, lord uh i do lift up john right now i think of the passage that we talked about a few days ago that by your wounds we are healed by your wounds By your wounds, we are healed. Something magical happened on that cross. And I ask you now in Jesus' name that whatever stands in the way of John seeing that, that he would see it. He clearly wants to see it. We pray for his marriage and we pray for his kids, his family, that you would do wonderful things in the coming weeks and months. And we just thank you in advance in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
1: All
0: right, I have a question for you guys. Can I uh, tell you a story that you've probably heard three, four, five times? Am I allowed to do a repeat story? You can't say no. So you can't put any parameters on this. All right, so a uh, long time ago, I was driving down the road with my kids, three of them anyway, the, my girls. Caleb wasn't yet born. Yeah, this story. And uh, we saw a deer. I'm not a hunter. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. But I said, I wish I had a gun so we could kill it. And then the protest began. Kara said, oh, Daddy, you can't kill it. It's nature. Then Caitlin, our oldest, very exacting and precise, looked at Kara and said, Kara, it's only wrong if you don't use the meat for food and the hide for clothing. (laughs) Then it was quiet for about a minute. Then we heard the voice of my third daughter say, yeah, let's kill it. (laughs) The connection here is that we are in this last teaching on Jesus's dream for this church. This is week number five, as we're looking inward, just looking at us, what does Jesus want for us? And today I wanna give a talk called Legalists, Libertines, and Love. The connection here is that my oldest two daughters were libertines, or legalists. They looked at the world from what is right what are the rules, how do I conform to what is expected of me and my third daughter, Emily, yeah, let's kill it. (laughs) Clearly in the libertine camp, like I'm a free thinker, don't put any chains on me, I just want to do what I want to do. So how do we negotiate that as we attempt to follow Jesus Christ? That's what I want to talk about here today. So with that definition, how many of you here would Describe yourselves as legalists, raise your hand. Okay, like four. How many of you would describe yourselves as libertines? A lot more, a lot more. So, we'll see about this. Uh, This morning I want to talk about alcohol. Uh, Alcohol. In the context of uh, libertines and legalists, so. Um, I do want to give a disclaimer that this is a, a sensitive area for some of us. If you've had an alcoholic parent, if you've struggled with alcoholic, alcohol yourself, if you have friends that have struggled, it's a sensitive area. It's also a sensitive area for some of us because we don't want anyone speaking into an area where we might feel some freedom. And so this is, this is a, a, a difficult uh, and yet very, very important topic that we talk about here today. And there's all kinds of different perspectives. Christianity and alcohol is no contradiction at all in Europe. To follow Christ, to be involved in a church and to drink alcohol, no one would think twice about that at all. In America, it's a little different. There's all sorts of different perspectives. There are some that would say that alcohol is just wrong. It's actually Sin. Some would say it's not wrong. It's not sin, but it's foolish for a Christian ever to drink alcohol. A third perspective would be those that would say it's not sin. It is acceptable as long as it is used in moderation and with wisdom. And then there's a fourth perspective that is like there is freedom here and don't anyone dare to speak into my life about what I do. So there's all kinds of different different perspectives on this. Again, the context, alcohol in the context of legalism, libertines, and love. Speaking of love, uh, my wife and I have been married for 30 years and we leave on Tuesday to go to Costa Rica to celebrate here together. And so, uh, this is Jana when we got married. I know, so pretty, awesome. Uh, this is us, actually the night before we went on our honeymoon. Look at how, uh, Caleb, I don't think you've seen this picture here, I don't know. This is, I was really, what'd you say? You, we will talk later, we will talk. Oh, I look good, thank you. I do. I look very, very, very young. And uh, this is a recent picture of my wife and I. She's aging really well, possibly better than I am. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard uh, the, the phrase that whomever, when you marry, you don't just marry the person, you marry their parents. You ever heard that? Okay, that's true on so many levels. First of all, you establish a relationship a deep relationship with those people, but also you marry their influences and their perspectives and their values. No matter what you do, that is now going to encroach into your life. And so on this topic of alcohol, my parents and Jana's parents were worlds apart, universes apart. So here's a picture of my parents. So with my parents, yeah, my mom is... uh, uh, 86, 87 now, and this is not like this picture is a few years ago. Uh, my dad is now with, with the Lord, which is an incredible concept, isn't it? He's with the Lord right now. and um, But my parents would find themselves on a trajectory, I'd, I'd call them on the Libertine camp. And so alcohol was always part of our upbringing. Um, my dad had happy hour every single day and the the perspective that anyone would ever question that at all just never crossed their minds at all so here's Chana's parents and again this is a few years back uh, Gerald also is now in the presence of Jesus and uh, Kathleen is still alive and kicking and their, their family upbringing was the opposite of mine. They lived in a dry home, in a dry county. Have you ever heard of a dry county? A county where there's like no alcohol. Actually, a few years ago, when Kathleen found Bud Light being sold at a Walmart, She thought it was a sign of the end, that Jesus must be coming back soon. I mean, how can this be? So she uh, and Gerald were definitely from a legalistic camp, and we married and began this big adventure. So there on the night of the rehearsal, day before the wedding, we're all there together at a restaurant, and my dad comes walking in, carrying a case of champagne. And he's so excited to generously give and bless everyone there. And I stop him at the door and said, Dad, we need to talk. The question I want to ask is, what would you do? Think about that for a minute. What if you were in that situation? What if you thought there is freedom with alcohol? What would you do? Or to refine the question, What would love do? What would love do in that situation? The big idea that I want to talk about here today, the big idea, Jesus didn't die to make us libertines. He did not die to give us a freedom where we just live however we want to live. He did not die to make us legalists, a bunch of people that follow rules, but to show us a new way of love. And this new way of love, and this, I think this talk may challenge some of us on some points, this new way of love is always more beautiful, but it's always stickier and more difficult and more constraining than we would, than we would want it to be. So the reason I think this talk will challenge some of you uh, is that it's really challenged me. My thinking has really been challenged on the issue of alcohol and how I think about it and I will unpack that as we go along. I want to set the stage in the first century. Many people were brought up Jewish. They were brought up with the law of Moses. They were churchgoers, so to speak. They went to synagogue. They were very religious. There were things that they did not do ever, like eat pork, never, ever, ever. Bacon, those poor people, never, ever, ever, ever. They never would hang out with Gentiles, non-Jews, they just did not do that. The second group of people is Gentiles, people that were unchurched, people that did not grow up with religion, that did not grow up with any law of Moses over them. In fact, what they grew up with is going to a pagan temple. We've talked about the worship of idols before in this church, but there would be a temple Uh, For example, the Temple of Aphrodite, and there would be this meal where they would celebrate and they would offer this meat to this, this pagan god, and that was their celebration. And then Jesus came into the picture for Jew and Gentile, and that totally complicated everything because there were some Jews who said, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to continue with the law of Moses. I'm going to continue observing the Sabbath. I'm not gonna eat pork. There are other Jews that said, I am free in Christ, and I'm not gonna observe the Sabbath, and I am going to feel free to eat pork or whatever I wanna eat. And these two groups would look at one another And can you see where they might judge one another? The same with the Gentiles. Some Gentiles, after coming to know Jesus, realized that thing that I used to worship there in that temple, that's not real. Jesus is the only Lord, but I'm free. And so I can eat meat that is in the marketplace that I know was part of a pagan worship experience because Jesus is the only God, my conscience is free. The other Gentile would say, I used to be involved in something that's really bad. And so though I know I'm forgiven, I cannot touch that meat that was once used in worship. Do you see how complicated this was in the first century? And that sets the stage for Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse one, except the one whose faith is weak, I want you to notice the word weak there, okay? We're going to come back to that. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So he's talking about two different perspectives, and he says one person has a weak conscience, another person has a strong conscience. What's interesting is the person that has the strong conscience Is the person that knows, I'm washed, I'm clean, I can eat or not eat, I'm free. It is the person who says, ah, I can't touch that. I have to observe this certain day that Paul describes here as a person with a weak conscience. But he describes these two different groups and he says you have to accept one another. This is really surprising to me. Because there's so many commands in the Bible, so much instruction in the Bible. And Romans 14 comes out of nowhere and says two different perspectives, and both are going to be okay. Verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted him. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. I just want you to look at the word contempt for a minute. That's a really strong word. Contempt is like, I don't want anything to do with you. I hate what you stand for. So let's forget about whether or not the issue of alcohol is good or bad or neutral. Let's forget about that, and I want everyone here to see that Paul addresses our hard attitudes. And the first person he calls out is the person with the strong conscience, the person that has the correct view, the person who understands I've been forgiven and set free by Christ, and whether or not I observe the Sabbath, whether or not I eat pork, all of those other things is not the issue and Paul makes a big issue out of what goes on in the heart. I have to share that I have had contempt and this will make sense to you because we do this ministry called God on Tap. We feel freedom, I feel freedom in Christ to go into a bar and drink alcohol with moderation with someone that doesn't yet know Jesus. And when I sit across the table from someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and we're drinking a beer, part of the reason this is a big issue to me is I used to be that person. I used to be that person that didn't understand Christianity. And it bugs me that someone would think what you're doing by going into that bar out of love for that person is wrong. Until I realized Scripture's calling me out. Scripture's calling me out for that arrogant disdain for a person that's different in their beliefs than me. Goes on to another strong word and says not to judge. Our culture is very confused about this word. Judge. Do not judge today essentially means do not ever tell anyone that they are wrong in anything, and that is a foolish and horrible misinterpretation. To judge someone means to treat them as if you know their life, which you do not, and you do not know yourself either because judgment is an exaltation above that person thinking that I have the right to pass some verdict on their life, and judgment always involves distance. I'm going to remove myself because I'm above you. And it's ugly. And Paul here says to the one group do not show contempt and to the other group do not judge. Verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. This is referring to the Sabbath. Some Jews continued the Mosaic practice. It's right there in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath. Other Jews that had come to know Jesus had said, every day is a celebration now for me because I'm set free, so I don't need to observe the Sabbath. And look at this verse. This is amazing to me. This should be very surprising that the Scripture teaches Be convinced in your own mind on this issue. Person A thinks this, person B thinks this. I would expect Paul to say, here's who's right. And he doesn't. He says, you're both right. Now, I want to make sure we understand this very clearly. There are black and white issues in the scripture. Do we all agree on that? We are not talking about taking a black and white issue, any command from scripture and saying, well, that's gray. That's not it at all. There's black and white issues where we need to be black and white. There are gray issues. There are gray issues, and we need to have the maturity to say, I think that's a gray issue. And so you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. Let's talk about it, but let's love each other. That's what Paul is expressing here in verse 5. Verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Let's just stop right here. What he's saying is that person that I had contempt for or the person that someone judges, both people are living like I love Jesus, I wanna live for Jesus. The person who says I abstain from alcohol does so out of love for Jesus. The person who says I feel freedom in this gray area does so out of love for Jesus. Verse eight, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Let's just sit in that for a minute. We belong to him. He owns us. He owns us is what this is saying. Whenever we encounter scripture that's muddy or foggy or we're not sure what it means, the best answer is found in other scripture. So I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20. Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that awesome to know the place where people went to worship and encounter God, and God in his wisdom has now said us in all of our frailties and weaknesses. We're that place where people get to encounter God, seeing God living through us despite our weaknesses. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You're not your own, you don't have freedom. You're not your own, you were bought with a price. Bought with a price is the language of the slave market. So a slave would stand in front of a crowd of people and they would have a little bidding war and then one person would win that war and that person, that slave, would be bought and now belong to them and Paul takes this language of the slave market and says, that's Christianity. So we're free, but we're not free. So what does it mean to be free? Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I love this image of a person who had chains and the chains have been broken and that person can say, I'm free from my sin. I'm free from my guilt. And perhaps most of all, I'm free from that tyrant, my selfish nature that used to rule my life. I've been set free from those things. So we're free from that, but we're not free. From Christ's lordship over us. We're not free from the Holy Spirit prompting us and leading us. So we're free, but not free. You know, there's a lot of different um, images given in the scripture to describe the relationship between us and God, right? And there's certain ones we love, and there's certain ones we might push back against. Like who loves the image of a father and a child, a loving father and a child? What joy is it to say, I'm a child of God? He loves me. But let me ask you this Is a child free from its parents' leadership? It kind of is and it kind of isn't, right? Because the child does have the right to disobey, but there will be consequences. You know, you're free, but you're not free. You can go ahead and say you're not going to eat your green beans, but I'm your dad. So you're free and you're not free. Think about a husband and a wife. Are they free? No. No. (laughs) That was a little too quick and a little too clear. (laughs) It's yes and no. I mean, I'm free in the sense that hopefully I know I'm unconditionally loved. I'm not free to do whatever I want, to hang out with whomever I want, to look at whatever I want. That's not what a covenant relationship is. So my point is all relationships that are based on love constrain, right? It's not all about total freedom. So love both frees and constrains. So one word that I want to make sure that we're real clear on is the Greek word doulos. And it's, you know, I found this an interesting tattoo. That just looks like a really tender place on the arm, right? I don't think I would want a tattoo there. But this word means slave. And we might get uncomfortable with that thinking, no, I've been set free and that's true. But we're also slaves. Some of our translations, the New American Standard Translates this slave and some translations choose the word servant and if you do the hard work of Figuring out what doulos actually means you'll see that it's slave That's the best interpretation of this So they had a practice in the Old Testament when a slave if they were working for seven years and they paid off their debt And now they're set free, and so they can do whatever they want. But they belonged to a master that was so good and so kind that that slave would actually say, I don't want to be set free. Like, I want to belong to you forever. And they would take the slave, and they would put his or her ear against a doorpost and hammer a nail through the ear of that person to indicate that they have chosen to be a bond slave, to belong to this person forever. That's the word doulos, that's the precise meaning that Paul is trying to get at here for all of us. I think that this is really, really important here that we understand this, because there's something that the gospel does and something that it doesn't do. The gospel sets me free from my nature, but the gospel does not set me free to live however I want. That will actually ruin us. That's actually why I became a Christian. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I knew I wanted eternal life. But gang, I became a Christian because I knew at age 17 that I had a horrible master, and that was me. I was wrecking my life, and I needed someone else to lead it. That's why I submitted my life to Jesus Christ. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, years and years ago, was invited to sing on Saturday Night Live. And it's interesting, the song that he chose, and uh, the lyrics, if you can go to the next slide. You gotta serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord but you gotta serve somebody. Everybody has a master who's yours. This has been a battle in my heart, as it is in every Christian's heart, to realize that submission to His Lordship frees me up. It changes me. If we take freedom and we think, you know, like when you hear that inner voice saying, I don't wanna do that. That's not the Holy Spirit. And as we learn to submit to the Spirit, we find a joy and a love that we were meant for. Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Determine here today, I will never let this issue, alcohol, I will never use this issue issue in a way that would grieve or stumble a Christian. So the issue here is not about freedom. The issue here is about love and about wisdom. Let's consider the cross just for a moment. I hope everyone here in this room has come to a point of utter awe over what Jesus has done there on the cross. But why did he do it? Jesus didn't suffer the way he suffered to make us libertines. He didn't do that. Christ, the gospel, does not invite us to live as libertines. He didn't suffer and die to make us legalists. He died to fill us with the love of Christ, which is a whole new way of looking at life altogether. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat or what you drink, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, by your freedom, destroy someone for whom Christ died. So my mother-in-law have very different perspectives on this. She believes that to drink alcohol is, is sin I believe within moderation, that is not at all sin. And so when she comes and visits, I don't have her sit down on the couch and then pop open a Bud Light in front of her. That's not what I do, because I hate Bud Light. (laughs) Just to be clear. I actually was looking forward to saying that all week, if I'm completely honest. Now, the issue here, and this is re- remarkable if you can see this, her conscience is more important than my freedom. That's the point. That's what the cross calls us to. This is the opposite of culture. This is the opposite of what many of you believe here. When you think about freedom as a Christian, you're thinking about yourself. And the cross tells us, no, someone is more important than me, that person. Is more important than my freedom. So if she asks. I'm not going to lie. I mean. We do God on tap. She should be able to do the math. But I do not need to make it. An issue knowing how it will offend her. And knowing how I have offended her in the past. Verse 16. Therefore do not let. What you know is good be spoken of as evil. Let's just pause here. There's many different ways to interpret this. What is this thing that we need to make sure is not spoken of as evil? I do not believe it's speaking about our freedom. I believe it's speaking about the gospel. Don't let the gospel be misunderstood as rules. Don't let the gospel be misunderstood as total liberty. After I became a Christian, well, before I became a Christian in my BC days, my before Christ days, I got drunk all the time. I say that not boastfully, but to reveal the pain that was going on in my heart. And after I became a Christian, this was an issue. This was a dilemma. I'm about to go to a party with my friends. None of my friends are Christians. What do I do? Do I choose to say, no, thank you, I'm a Christian now? Is that the right response? And I thought, no, that's going to mislead them. That's going to mislead them into thinking that Christianity is just a bunch of rules. I can't do that. Or do I go to the party and say, hey, I'm forgiven, I'm free in Christ, let's get drunk. No, that would mislead them. It would mislead them into thinking that I wasn't changed. And I was. And so I chose to go and to be part of the party and to drink beer with moderation. And I remember someone coming up to me and just saying, so like, uh, what's changed in you? And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity that the Holy Spirit gave me wisdom in this gray area. I have some personal convictions on this area. I would encourage you to accept the same personal convictions, but the whole idea of a personal conviction is you got to think through it and make it yours. So here are mine. Number one, I will not get drunk. Ephesians 519 tells me, do not get drunk with wine. If you want to squirrel your way around that and say, well, it says wine, not Bud Light, (laughs) don't do that. So I will not get drunk. Second personal conviction. Drunk is kind of hard to define, isn't it? So for me, for me, I took that conviction and went a little higher. I want to make sure I never appear anything close to drunk. I don't want anyone thinking, hey, did you see him? He's just, wow. And he calls himself a Christian. And that matters to me. So it's not just the letter of the law, it's love, which is a higher standard. The third personal conviction, I try to never offend a Christian. And that involves me abstaining, that involves me asking someone what, where they're at. I was with a friend uh, briefly, shortly ago, who I know is in AA, and I asked him, if I have a glass of wine, will that bother you? Will that offend you? Will that hurt you in any way? And he said, no, absolutely not. And so I felt freedom. If there was any hesitation in his answer, I would say, I'm not. Not gonna have a glass of wine with dinner. The fourth is I try to never misrepresent the gospel. Never use my freedom in a way that might misrepresent to someone that's not a Christian. I want to invite the band to the stage at this point, and for the rest of you, I want to tell you a story that I've told before, but it's good enough to share again. When I was in Illinois, I met a young guy named Michael, and Michael was very interested in hearing about the cross and about what God had done for him and about this thing called grace. But Michael was hung up, and I knew it. There is something that was stopping him from putting his faith in Christ. And as we talked, I began to discern what it probably was. So we went out to lunch together. And I began to think, "Uh, I believe that he's hung up on alcohol. And so the waitress came and I ordered my food. And he was a little late, so he showed up and he ordered his food. And then we began to talk. And he said, John, I I believe Jesus died for me. I feel very embarrassed to say this, but I love cigars. And I like the taste of a beer. And so I'm afraid I can't become a Christian because then I'll have to stop smoking cigars and never drink a beer again. And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, I'm really sorry, but I can't help you. And then the waitress walked in, put down my food and a beer. And I picked it up and just looked at him and said, do you understand? And he said, now I get it. And he became a believer in Jesus a short time later. So let us as a church family have wisdom and love on this gray, gray area of life. Last verse, verse 18 because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and also receives human approval. The world looks at this and can tell this is loving. This is right. This morning we get to celebrate communion. We get to remember what was done for us on that great day. And I want to take us back to the Last Supper. There at the Last Supper, Jesus disrobed. I want us to just let that sink in and realize how, how shocking this would have been for Jesus to disrobe. And then he said this strange thing to the disciples who were around him. He said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Of course, he's not talking about washing their feet. He's saying, tomorrow I go to the cross, and unless my blood washes you for your sin, I We have no relationship. I think as a Christ follower, it's really easy to get used to this image and forget how shocking it is that God became man. Think about how vast the universe is and just the amazing distance of our Milky Way galaxy galaxy, and the seemingly endless number of galaxies that are out there. Philippians 2 says this, Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a, what? Bondservant. I'm free, but I freely give my life out of love. At this time, I would like us to move to the tables. We're going to participate in communion corporately, so don't drink or eat. Take it back to your seat, and we will partake here together as a body in just a few moments.